Speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman. Yes, Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman. Who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights the never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 154 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and for this week, it'll be back to animation with episode 6 and 7 of The Ruby Spears Superman. That is a combination of... The Superman episode, The Hunter, and the Superman family story, Little Runaway. And in the second segment, we're going to have a little bit of a team-up as uh, the Superman story will guest star Wonder Woman in the aptly titled Superman and Wonder Woman versus the Sorceress of Time. So, not a very original title there, to uh, say the least. And we'll finish things off with the... Superman album story, The Birthday Party. Another little bit of a lazy title writing, if you ask me. But before we get into the business of uh, this week's episode, I really don't have anything uh, to uh, discuss in this preamble segment, so I'll get right into feedback. I have feedback here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 143, titled Supergirl. And this is about my coverage, along with uh, Patrick Delmore and Dario Gonzalez, regarding the 1984 Supergirl film. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike, Patrick, and Dario. I know that this movie is not held in high regard, to put it mildly, by most of the people who've watched it, and despite my reputation among many friends as an unfailing apologist for all things Superman-related, I can't claim that this is even a good movie. Nonetheless, I have an abiding fondness for it. Not because it is well-written, certainly, because the plot is a tangled mess, maybe, just maybe, exceeded only by the Gordian Knot, which was loosed only by the sword of Alexander the Great. Not because of great acting, because even the best performances in the movie are, in my opinion, only passable. I think my fondness is based on two things. One from the movie itself, and one outside the movie. I think Helen Slater is absolutely charming in the role of Supergirl. She was pretty young and relatively inexperienced as an actress at the time, but she got several things just right. Her graceful and balletic first flight is utterly charming, capturing the joy and wonder any of us might feel in discovering we could fly. That scene alone makes me love her. She also has the right tone as a bright girl who is new to Earth and its ways, which are different from what she knows from Argo City. But she adapts quickly, but still doesn't always get it exactly right, particularly in her dealings with other people. A lot of young actresses would have had far more trouble with that, I think. The quote-unquote outside-of-the-movie part is twofold. Unlike you gentlemen, I've been around and reading comic books since almost the dawn of the Silver Age, and I was always a fan of The Girl of Steel. Over her long career, I think DC's editors and writers didn't always have a firm grasp of what to do with the character, and often just put her in reworked Superman stories, adapted very slightly for a female, or in Lonely Heart stories. But somehow, I suspect, quite by accident she endured, at least until Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7. I hated that story and its aftermath, but in my mind, this movie, because it was released only about a year before that comic, 
became kind of a tribute to Supergirl. And as long as the movie existed, so did she. Even though, in the post-crisis comics, her entire existence had been erased. I will always have a soft spot for this movie, in part because of that. I know my experience is not yours, and I understand the generally negative fan reaction to this movie, but I can never bring myself to share it. Live long and prosper. Dave. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I think this movie is not held in high regard because it is not a good movie. You know, I think as a surprise to all of us, when we discussed Superman 4, if we had to choose either that or Superman 4 to no longer exist, we uh, both uh, blinked this movie out of existence. But, but yeah, you know, it's just a mess. The best thing about this movie is Helen Slater. And, I mean, I'm not sure whether Helen Slater was relatively new to acting. I think she might have been completely new to it. This may or may not have been her first role. But Dave is right, and this is something the guys that I discussed, Helen Slater is, by and large, the best thing about this movie. Friend of the show, uh, Douglas Meacham, uh, recently shared a photo on his uh, Facebook page. Well, it probably, it's probably not that recent by the time you hear this, but it's relatively recent to this recording. It was a picture of the Helen Slater Supergirl in front of uh, Popeyes, and she's in the classic uh, hero pose, and he wrote underneath it, My Supergirl, and... My comment underneath that picture was, she deserved a better movie. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Helen Slater was a great Supergirl. She was perfect for what they were trying to do. And I think uh, her youth and inexperience as an actress kind of helped her performance in a way. Because in a lot of ways in that film, Supergirl was in the same place. One of my favorite uh, scenes in the movie, and I talked about this, I believe is that when she, I think she sees a bird or a butterfly or something for the first time. And, uh, I mean, and she'd never really been outside. She, oh, she lived her whole, her whole life at the Argo City shopping mall. But uh, she either she opens her hand and the bird or the butterfly, I don't remember exactly what it was, just kind of flaps its wings and flies away. And she has such a great sense of wonder at seeing this for the first time. And I'm not sure a, j- a jaded actor or actress can really pull that off as well as uh, as she did. I mean... Everything Kara discovered in that movie, she discovered for the first time. So, and of course, the the first flight was is also terrific, even though the rear projection is man, is that obvious? And but yeah, I mean, by and large, Supergirl's reactions with the actions, reactions to people, and everything she does is is pitch perfect. It's just when uh, you know we get to the superhero plot, the movie kind of falls on its face. This movie did come out at an interesting time with uh, Supergirl being killed off in Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7 a year or so later. I don't exactly remember the timing of when issue 7 hit the stands, but yeah, I, I guess this movie could kind of sit as a tribute to Supergirl. Really, what I consider it is the first uh, time the Salt guy tried to squeeze some extra money out of the Superman franchise. They had pretty much run their course with Superman's 1 through 3, and they they kind of looked at, what, at everything else they owned and see what else they could... Uh, squeeze the profit out of Supergirl being one and the Superboy show in the late 80s and early 90s being the other. I wanted to laugh at Dave's comment about DC's editors and writers uh, not having a firm grasp what to do with her and often just put her in reworked Superman stories. Unfortunately, here we are uh, 65, 70 years later and we still have the same problem. But at least the Lonely Heart stories are a thing of the past. And I don't recall the specifics, but I believe there was some kind of attempted synergy between the comics and the movie, uh, I think there was a picture of uh, Helen Slater with the red headband with the film coming out. The comics copied it. 
or put her in the red headband, change the suit to what she eventually, you know, died in in crisis. And then someone was surprised when the film came out or something and she was not in uh, the comic suit. I remember there being a whole big, uh, I don't know what to say it was a big to do, but there was a bit of confusion regarding the costume. Let's just say that. But I do believe, you know, the negative fan reaction to this movie is not because of Helen Slater, but it's kind of because of everything around her, everything else, you know. The movie looks cheap. The plot makes no sense. The villains are unapologetically hammy. I still don't understand why Serena was trying to get a man. Aside from the fact that in 1984, that's what female characters did. You know, a lot of it is just, like Dave said, a mess to rival the Gordian knot. So I really don't have anything else to say about that. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to join in, you can uh, send us the feedback, manascreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to... Take a podcast promo break. And when I come back, Ruby Spears, Superman, The Hunter, and The Little Runaway. Hang around, folks. Greetings, podcast listener. My name is Charlie Neymar, and I host a show called Charlie's Geekcast, all about me and what I like but mostly about what I like. 2020 marks a pretty special year for me. For one thing, I'll be turning 40 this year. But this year also marks 10 years since I started podcasting by talking about Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age. Coincidentally, this year also marks 50 years since Superman entered the Bronze Age. To celebrate all of this, this year I'll be doing a series of episodes called Geeking on Superman in the Bronze Age, where I'll be looking at some great Bronze Age Superman adventures that I didn't get around to the first time around. It's a lot of around. So check out Charlie's GeekCast, part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at twotruefreaks.com. Also, you can find the show at charliesgeekcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back, folks. The episodes of this segment had an original broadcast date of October 29th, 1988. And we're going to start with The Hunter. This is written by Karen Wilson and Chris Weber. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Holidaying with his parents, Clark is called off time and time again to help out a Superman. From the Phantom Zone, General Zod and his companions successfully create a creature they call the Hunter. I created this chemical pool. Biohydrates, xenopeptins, carbites. The building blocks of a genetic scientist's dream. We cannot break through the Phantom Zone barrier, but our unliving hunter can. Join hands. The method is simple. Visualize the perfect hunter. Now, imagine the thrill of the hunt. A creature with our cunning, our will to survive, our ability to adapt. A hunter with one purpose, to find and destroy Superman. I am the hunter. I live for one purpose, to exterminate the son of jor Where is my prey? Superman lives in Metropolis. Go! Able to convert itself into any substance it touches, the hunter converts itself into steel, breaks into the Daily Planet, and captures Lois Lane in order to attract Superman. After battling Superman, the creature retreats and is introduced to Kryptonite by General Zod. Hunter! What is this? Kryptonite! The only substance that can destroy Superman! What? I want it! 
We will show you where to find the real kryptonite. Then you will free us from our eternal prison. Yes! The hunter keeps his word! The hunter seeks out Lex Luthor. I can Lex Luthor! Huh? Oh, no! I didn't do it! I'm, I'm innocent! Um... <gasps> Of course you have. I'm Lex Luthor. Everybody needs me. Now, if you'll uh, kindly put me down, uh, we'll talk. So tell me, uh, whatever you are, uh, what do you need and how much will you pay for it? I want kryptonite. You have it. As for payment, you will give it to me. Oh, since you put it that way, um, it is, I do have an extra piece. Uh, you sure we can't arrange a small payment? <clears throat> it can be spread over time. I'm only 10% interest. At last. Now I can destroy Superman. Touches a piece of kryptonite and converts his whole body into the green glowing rock. Another confrontation with Superman sees the hunter supposedly kill the Man of Steel. However, Superman... Having given Lois a particular device. Superman, is there anything I can do to help? Yes, take this box and don't lose it. If one of Hunter's attacks is successful, there's something you must do for me. Had played dead by putting himself into a type of suspended animation, which Lois, using the device, is able to reawaken him from. Superman gave me something before he died. Gee, a, a television remote control? I'm not sure what it is, but I promise to use it if anything happened to him. But what good will it do, Miss Lane? Superman's gone. I know, but this was my last promise to him, Jimmy, and I'm going to keep it. Superman. Looks like he's just asleep, doesn't he, Jimmy? Sure does, Miss Lane. Makes me think of Sleeping Beauty all decked out like that. I guess you're right, Jimmy. All this fuss over a silly gadget. Still, he did give me one last chance to say goodbye. You're a real Prince Kal-El. I'm gonna miss you. Come on, Miss Lane. Uh, I'll walk you back to your car. No, Lois, I did. Thanks to a promise kept by a friend. Oh, you're alive! Sorry to worry everyone so much. The hunter forced me into a desperation move. The box I used induced a state that resembled suspended animation and kryptonite poisoning. I was counting on the hunter to take the kryptonite away before it could really harm me. And then my device revived you. You were one of the very few people I'd trust with my life, Lois. I knew you'd keep your promise. Superman destroys the Hunter and uses a Phantom Zone projector to ensure General Zod stays in the Phantom Zone. If you could just stay a few more days, I'm sure Perry would give me more time off. I'm afraid my harvest won't wait. Maybe in a few months. Besides, we can't hog you all for ourselves. Why, you've got a whole world out there that needs you. So, as always, 
it is nice to see some familiar faces. Uh, we have uh, our villains, our General Zod, and two female companions, who I don't believe are named. I mean, I guess if you must name them, I guess one of them can be Ursa, the other one can be Feora or something, but they're unnamed. And uh, this episode starts off at the zoo, and Clark is giving his parents the uh, grand tour of the city. Apparently, straight from the Metropolis Zoo, they're going to go to the Daily Planet and a bunch of other places. You know, if and I've never lived in a faraway city from my parents. We've always kind of always lived in the same town, except for seven years when I lived uh, about 150 miles away, and they never came to visit me. But uh, either way, my place of employment was not never a place that we went. It just doesn't seem to be a big destination spot. So there's some kind of tidal wave, and uh, Clark runs off to change to Superman, which gives us a nice uh, in-motion uh, shirt rip. And uh, Martha is worried about how uh, about Clark missing meals and how he needs a girlfriend. Great. Just what I, what I need in my Superman adventure. A worrying mother. And it's unclear how long Clark has been Superman in this uh, show to this point. But I don't know. Just having uh, Martha worrying about Clark's missing meals and uh, his uh, dating life is just not something I need. So now we have kind of an otherworldly view of General Zod and uh, two women watching... Superman perform what they call circus tricks. And, you know, they look very phantom-like, at least from the outside world. And th- this is the Phantom Zone, and it's quite barren and crystalline, borrowing a little bit from the aesthetic of the uh, recent Christopher Reeve films. Zod looks the way he did in the comics with his uh, military uniform and his uh, strap across his chest. Uh, no black leather here. So, one of Zod's people here created a chemical pool. And, uh... Again, I don't know this character's name. I don't believe they either one of them were named, just Zod. And uh, this pool can uh, create, I guess, whatever they need. They're going to uh, hold hands and focus. Think about hunting and build a creature that will destroy Superman. Think of the recent uh, CW Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover and when uh, the heroes had to focus to recreate the universe. Same thing here. And it's funny, I even commented during the Crisis episode that the only thing missing was everybody holding hands. Well... They wanted to make sure they did this hunter right, so they all held hands. So, the hunter is going to destroy Superman, and off it goes. It's solid green. It even wears uh, green trunks. At least that's what I was supposed to believe when you see uh, the creature. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a of a Doomsday-type thing, where it's built as the ultimate weapon to uh, destroy Superman, but it's got some brains, which puts it way ahead of the Doomsday monster. Um, like I'm 100% sure Dan Jurgens wasn't thinking of this. When he created Doomsday, but uh, there it is. Somehow, the creature knows that Superman has friends at the Daily Planet. I guess uh, Zod and his two girlfriends here have experience with him. You know, this is one of the things I kind of get amused at with the uh, whole Brian Michael Bendis uh, revealing Superman's secret identity to the world. The first uh, thing people say is, well, his friends and family are in danger. Well, he's always done a kind of a crap job of uh, protecting his friends and family. They always seem to get caught up in things, but I'm not going to litigate... uh, that decision here but it's just one of those things that, you know lois lane is always in danger because of superman so i'm not always sure who the secret identity is protecting so the hunter uh has powers as he touches the side of the building and somehow he becomes uh made of steel and then the uh the planet office lois is so focused on the files that she nearly misses this uh steel door that just kind of appears so as common in superman adventures lois is abducted so again clark has to abandon his parents this time they're touring the daily planet building and Ma is, is again going to wax poetic about how underneath the cape, he's still our little boy, her little boy. Beautiful. Me, I'm more involved here with the uh, Superman robot slugfest that we're about to have. 
And it's a well-staged fight, although the hunter grabbing Lois by her wrist and uh, carrying her probably isn't physically possible. Her arms would probably fall off and the rest of Lois would probably fall to her death. So here's a tired trope. Superman tells the hunter to let Lois go and he literally flings her off the side of the building. So there's that. So during all this, the hunter has uh, turned into Diamond and uh, the world's hardest substance and he's not going to give Superman an inch as he throws the Daily Planet globe down at him and Lois. Fortunately, it descends slow enough for Superman to yell great Scott before he does anything. It's very important. You got to get your uh, exclamations out before you go up there and uh, catch the falling globe that's going to squash you. So now we're going to get more of our fight. And this battle is all over as the hunter throws Superman into a freight train. And then the hunter continues to wreck said freight train. And Superman is really taking his lumps. He's really uh, getting, uh, getting a bit of a beat down here. And I guess... I guess we've evolved a little bit here because uh, the Hunter must not have a soul because he's, uh, this is a pretty good fight between Superman and uh, the Hunter. And uh, although the Hunter does kind of, uh, I think, get over underestimate Superman here a little bit when it thinks that burying him underneath some metal is enough to quote-unquote best him. So the Hunter then steps on some water and changes into uh, water. I wonder if he did that on purpose. So now the Kryptonians are going to show the Hunter kryptonite. It's kind of funny. You kind of think they would have done that before, but I guess we had to build up to the kryptonite. We couldn't just go straight straight to that. I guess I wanted to see if uh, the hunter could beat Superman senseless before introducing him, to him or it to the uh, substance that could even kill Zod. So the hunter shakes Lex Luthor awake, and Luthor is awful calm when you consider there's a giant green alien in his bedroom holding him by his collar. And the hunter sure knows how to make a deal. He demands kryptonite and then smashes Luthor's desk. Even as he's grabbing a, a, this small chunk, Luthor is still trying to negotiate a price. So Martha, meanwhile, we're going to get more worried Martha here, and uh, she's wondering if they should have left him alone with the monster. What would they have done? What could Martha have possibly done to help in this situation? Nothing! I mean, the subplot here of his parents just being there is kind of just weighing down this episode a little bit. But it will pay off in a few minutes. And uh, it's funny, they show the Daily Planet uh, building in the next shot, and... They're already repairing the globe, That then there's already scaffolding there. I mean, man, it can't be more than an hour or so. That scaffolding went up pretty quick. So Superman shows up weak at the Daily Planet and gives Lois a white box. If something happens to him, she must use it. I kind of wonder how he knew to give her this thing, but I don't think at this point he had any clue that the Hunter was going to uh, be bringing Kryptonite to the battle. So uh, Superman flies home, and he kind of plants himself right down in the chair in his apartment in Superman costume. Probably not the best idea in the world if we're trying to protect a secret identity. But Martha comes out, and this isn't Martha Ken, as she whips out some kryptonite and then becomes kryptonite. So here here comes uh, the enemy behind Clark's weight bench, because, you know, this is something that's been established by John Byrne in the post-crisis run. Clark keeps a weight bench in his apartment to uh, keep up appearances, to kind of show why uh, Clark Kent may have uh, as good a physique as Superman. So the hunter, you know, and this is something Marv Wolfman talked about, the Hunter likes to talk and narrates all his actions. Uh, apparently, uh, one of Marv Wolfman's complaints that uh, he is the, uh, the head writer or the editor is that the notes from the studio kept uh, saying more dialogue, more dialogue, more dialogue. Just from the interviews I've read by him, he probably would have preferred to let the visuals drive the story instead of the characters narrating what they're doing. I tend to agree with Wolfman. Show, don't tell. So um, while the Hunter is uh, trying to kill Superman... Superman flashes himself in the face with something and is now green. And obviously, I knew this is trying to fake kryptonite poisoning. I'm wondering if he's faking his death. And honestly, Superman takes his fake out 
pretty far as the entire world is mourning him, so at least a day or two must pass at this point. Luthor is still a little bummed that the hunter killed Superman before he could, but apparently once he realized that the kryptonite chunk that he gave to the hunter played a role, he's suddenly okay with it. I guess Lex just needed to be uh, to feel involved and needed. So it's good that Lex gets to uh, stroke his ego in this fashion. So now Zod sees the headline that Superman is dead and he's uh, ready to uh, bring his cohorts to Earth. Lois is uh, mourning Superman and uh, she kisses him and shoots him in the coffin with the gadget that Superman gave her. And that's going to pay off right here as uh, this thing wakes up Superman and as he comes and he comes to as they walk away. I mean, that's got to be frightening. I remember one morning, uh, my two-year-old daughter woke up, came into my room and scared the crap out of me. I'm, there I am sleeping and all of a sudden I hear my doorknob click and I, I look out and there's nobody there. So I figured, so I just laid back down and then all of a sudden there's a face right in front of me. Scared the hell out of me. I can imagine this kind of uh, will give Lois and Jimmy a similar start. So now we're learning that Superman put himself in a state of suspended animation that resembled kryptonite po- poisoning. And he gave Lois the means to wake him. And that shows the trust between the two that he, I mean, he didn't tell her what his plan was. But he, nonetheless, he trusted her to do what needed to be done when it needed, when it needed to be done. So the hunter, who in the meantime has built a Phantom Zone projector, has brought Zod to Earth. And uh, they were going to bring his uh, other two girlfriends over, but uh, Superman closed the projector before that could happen. So now we're going to get our final battle because we need another boss fight in this episode. Superman fights Zod while keeping them uh, both away from the projector. So uh, the Hunter is still doing most of the heavy lifting. Zod is still tagging along and uh, giving orders. And eventually Superman uses the projector and uh, sends Zod and the creature back into the zone. So now the cancer are going home when the episode ends. And uh, Jonathan says they can't hog him when there's a whole world that needs him. And uh, that being said, Martha can't uh, worry about every little thing that Clark does. You know, at some point, she's got to let him go and be Superman. That was a good episode. I enjoyed it. It's good to see the Phantom Zone criminals, at least a version of them. And it's nice to see that they still come in threes. You know, we had uh, Zod, Ursa, and Nod in, this, in the re-films. We have three Phantom Zone villains here. We're going to have three Phantom Zone villains in the Supergirl saga in the comics, which either happened already or is about to happen. I don't remember the exact dates of those uh, those books, but there's not a lot of time that separates between uh, this episode and... Uh, those three issues and actually zod looks a lot like the way he does in the supergirl saga so this show continues to be a nice mesh of pre-crisis and post-crisis concepts and i'm glad to see these episodes continue to uh remain strong i also like the hunter and i like that the big brute has brains it's also always good to see lex too and he and he even played a small role he as a lex luthor to me is part of superman's main cast just as important as anybody from the daily planet a lot happened in this episode, which is far more typical than your 18-minute story. A lot going on. A lot of fighting. You know, this episode doesn't really let up and it engaged me the entire time. So now we're going to move on to something a little less engaging. The Superman family story, Little Runaway by Cherry Wilkinson. And our synopsis is as follows. Unhappy with having to clean out the barn without his superpowers and miss out on a movie he wanted to see, young Clark decides to run away from home. When a dog steals his packed lunch... Clark's day goes from bad to worse, and he finally realizes that home isn't so bad after all. Ah, here we go with uh, obnoxious child Clark. He's bored from cleaning the cow pens, and he's holding up a cow above his head. His father tells him not to, and in frustration, Clark, who 
maybe six years old here, runs away from home. <sighs> but he does leave a note, and uh, he's wandering through the woods. He doesn't know what trail to take, and he sets his stuff down, and the dog runs off with something. I guess it's his packed lunch. So Clark could be nicer to this dog, calling him a dumb mutt, but, you know, that's uh, par for the course with, with child Clark here. Then he runs into this homeless guy who ate most of his sandwich, but at least Clark gets his baseball glove back. And uh, Clark had found the homeless guy on a train, so now Clark ends up in a tug of war with the dog. That lands Clark in the water and off the train. And then he finds a uh, family having a picnic. They're happy. They have a kid. They're having pie, and seeing the pie makes Clark start to miss home. He uh, hopes, and he, he decides, uh, and I guess this shows how uh, time must pass for a six-year-old, I guess, how he thinks a lot of time has passed, but really very little has. Because he decides to go home, and he's wor- worried that his parents might have forgotten him. So apparently the Kent is such attentive parents that they didn't notice that he was gone for two hours. You know, the Kents do not seem like they have the, the best handle on raising the super baby type of stuff. I mean, a lot of those super baby stories, uh, at least the ones that I like, kind of involve the Kents being uh, overwhelmed and inattentive parents. But this adventure sure left him with an appetite, and now he's happy to do chores. So, yeah, that's a story that happened. I really don't have a lot to say about it. Clark learns his lesson and comes home, learns to appreciate his family, learns to appreciate his chores, I guess. Maybe now you'll learn to appreciate this podcast promo break, and when I come back, Superman story, Superman and Wonder Woman versus the Sorcerers of Time, and the birthday party. Hang around, folks. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994? Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. All right, welcome back, folks. The episode of this segment, original broadcast date of November 5th, 1988, and we're going to start with Superman and Wonder Woman versus the Sorcerers of Time. This is written by Sherry Wilkerson and Marv Wolfman. And our synopses in this segment brought to you by the Super Friends Wiki. When an evil sorceress named Cyrene escapes from her state of suspended animation on Paradise Island upon her imprisonment and getting hit by a meteor fragment, she ends up attacking Hippolyta and the other Amazons. Wonder Woman must get help from Superman to take her down. Uh, pardon me for interrupting, but huh? Who, who's in my house? Wonder Woman, it's been a long time. Superman, this is urgent. I need to speak to you uh, privately. Uh, hold on, Wonder Woman. I thought I was having the private conversation. I'm sorry, Lois, but this is an emergency. I've got to leave. I know where we can go. So you're the only one who can open the box that contains the Globe of Darkness. Right, and we've got to stop Cyrene before she finds me. But with Cyrene's magical ability to summon creatures from the mythological past, she proves to be a very great threat. And to make things more complicated, Lois is obviously jealous of Wonder Woman flying off with Superman. The Amazons are eternally grateful for your help, Superman. 
Your daughter and I make a good team. Thanks, Superman. Until the next time, Wonder Woman. Until then. Up, up, and away. So this episode starts not in Metropolis, but it starts here with a view of Themyscira. Well, this show we'll call it Paradise Island. I'm not necessarily sure when the name Themyscira came into continuity. Is I don't know if that's something that was introduced with the George Perez run in the that is around this time. It might have actually it might be a year or so into the Perez run at this point. But uh, I don't know if Perez introduced the idea that the island was called Themyscira. It was always Paradise. <laughs> Or if Themyscira came along, bef- was named Themyscira before that. But here we're calling it Paradise Island, which I believe it was called way back in the beginning as well. So either way, Wonder Woman is taking uh, protection of this globe to a... She's undergoing some kind of ceremony here to uh, become the uh, protector of this globe. And in it we have uh, a white-haired uh, sorceress. So here is Superman in space uh, stopping a comet from hitting Earth. So, as we tend to do in team-up episodes, we're getting a little bit of the characters individually before we uh, put them together. And this is only an 18-minute story, so they got to get put together pretty quickly. So Superman stops the comet from hitting Earth, and he kind of makes uh, light work of it. And uh, it's going to connect to the Wonder Woman story by pieces of the comet will fall onto Paradise Island and crashes into the globe. And it awakens uh, the white-haired uh, woman here that's inside of the globe. Her name is Cyrene, and she's got... Like I mentioned, an impressive mane of white hair. And she immediately starts threatening the Amazons with a fireball and a green ball that turns one of the Amazons into some kind of creature. So Wonder Woman wants to defend the Amazons, but her mother, Hippolyta, instead sends her to Man's World to seek help, which is a very uh, un-Amazon-like thing to do. Normally, they're pretty independent and believe they can handle any threat they run into, especially if they uh, consider stopping that threat to kind of be uh, their charge. But it's a good thing this is a Superman show because we know that Wonder Woman will find some help. So now that she's done turning the Amazons into trolls, Cyrene puts Hippolyta's hand in the box of darkness and apparently they were able to finish the ceremony so it won't respond to Hippolyta's handprint, just Diana's. So now Cyrene is going to have to go find Diana who is uh, off seeking help. And as she sends uh, a few griffins out after uh, Wonder Woman, on the Wonder Woman's scent, they, Wonder Woman was wearing some kind of a white hooded robe covering her uh, Wonder Woman costume, and uh, the Griffins smell it, and uh, they have her scent. So they fly off, and then now all ten Amazons that are around have been turned into uh, imps, and they're imprisoned. So they're kind of uh, down for the count at this point. So now here is a Superman and Lois Lane kind of flying about. I guess some time has passed since Superman broke up that comet. And this show is really leaning into some kind of relationship between Superman and Lois Lane, even though uh, they don't really define it. I mean, it looks like, I guess, they're dating, I guess, but, I mean, there was one episode where they were having a picnic in the clouds, and uh, people on an airplane waved at them, but they don't really, uh, I guess they're casually dating. The episode doesn't really delve much further into what these two are doing. So, Superman and Wonder Woman know each other, and uh, Superman says it's been a long time, and Wonder Woman needs to talk to Superman privately, and Lois gets all jealous, as if Wonder Woman is going to horn in on her action here. Not very becoming. You would think Lois would realize that if Wonder Woman needs Superman's help, there's probably something uh, sinister going on. But So Wonder Woman gives Superman the lowdown uh, when they're uh, attacked by uh, by a griffin. Wonder Woman swings uh, one around with a lasso. That kind of stuff never gets old. And they all have these uh, c- collars around them. And apparently all they have to do to break the spell and send them back to wherever they came from is uh, pull the collar off. 
Wonder Woman seems to indicate that these uh, creatures have come from the past. So they, well, we get a nice little action sequence of uh, Superman and Wonder Woman defeating the Griffins by pulling uh, the collars off. But uh, here's one that gets away, and uh, I guess it's going to report into Cyrene, who apparently uh, came uh, to Metropolis from Paradise Island via commercial aircraft. Because as they leave the airport, she's complaining about seatbelt regulations. The horror. And, uh, of course, Cyrene is after Lois Lane. Alright, so so Clark is faking that he needs some time off so he can go and help Wonder Woman. He basically uh, dumps all of his work on Lois Lane. And uh, she doesn't make this uh, cool complaint about how she's being dumped by Superman and then getting put on with Clark's work. Uh, do you mind handling this for me, Lois? Uh, I have to be away for a few days. But Clark... Lois, I, I really need your help. Right. Thanks. I knew I could count on you. First Superman dumps me. Then Clark dumps his work on me. What's next? And I don't understand why Lois feels though she's being dumped by Superman. Wonder Woman came to him and asked him for help. Help is what Superman does. So, I just think Lois is way off base here. I mean, we know that she is, but Lois is not written very well in this episode at all. And now, of course, by virtue of riding by Superman destroying a comet, Lois Lane is kidnapped. And uh, now I guess they're in Clark's office as Wonder Woman and Superman. Again, that doesn't seem a great idea if you're trying to protect a secret identity. I mean, there's got to be other places they can hang out. But it gives uh, Wonder Woman a chance to uh, marvel at Superman's human life. And they're admiring uh, Clark's awards when they hear that Lois is being kidnapped. Are all these your awards? They're Clark's for a story I wrote last year on the ecology. Well, I'm sorry I'm taking you away from your work to help me. This is my work. Come on, let's go in. Huh? What is it, Superman? Help! It's Lois. And first and foremost, my big question is, how does Cyrene have all that hair without getting a headache? That hair just seems like it weighs a ton. And uh, Cyrene has some more tricks up her sleeve as she generates a Cyclops and is attacking Lois, who is uh, calling for help. And Cyrene is unapologetically evil. And I like that in uh, villainous characters. And I love how Lois kind of tosses the imp like it's a rag doll. So Lois gets out of the room, so, uh, and away from, uh, Cyrene and the imp. So what does Cyrene do? She does what any, uh, wizard would do in this situation. She generates more Cyclopses. And it looks like we're about to have another fight. Superman complains about magic, which is one of his vulnerabilities. I don't know necessar- necessarily that magic is a weakness of Superman's, but his abilities do not protect him from it. Let's just say that. So now we have a neat trick, some nice teamwork here between Superman and Wonder Woman and Superman bounces his heat vision off of Wonder Woman's bracelets to get rid of the first Cyclops. And once they know how to beat these guys, it's relatively easy for them to uh, to pull the collars off. Lois gets away down the laundry chute. At least it doesn't smell as bad as the Death Star garbage chute did in the, the original Star Wars film. I kind of wonder if this was a nod to uh, the Death Star escape in Star Wars. You know, it could have been, I guess. So Wonder Woman gets punched into uh, this cafe where some uh, sleazebag tries to pick her up and... Uh, all he manages to get is thrown over the counter by a Cyclops for his trouble. And you know what? Whatever injury this guy gets from trying to pick up Wonder Woman, he deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. But after the battle, Superman is stuck in some kind of red field and Wonder Woman is captured. Remember, Cyrene needs Wonder Woman's handprint to uh, open the box. Superman manages to get free, but Cyrene creates this giant being that's carrying Superman away. Just a big monster and... Uh, we have another opportunity for Superman to uh, complain about magic. <clears throat> because one thing Superman will do with regards to his weaknesses is complain about them. Because why wouldn't he? Next, Superman will try some heat vision on the collar, but that doesn't work. 
And when that doesn't work, he uses telephone wires. And he even comments that he hopes nobody's on the phone uh, when he does this. For all you kids out there who only know your iPhones, yes, way back in the 80s, if some, all of our phones went over the wires. And if Superman did something like this, half the phone service in town would probably go out and people would probably be, be pissed. Honestly, now that I'm thinking about this, I wonder like, how often phone service and electricity would go out in Metropolis just by virtue of Superman's actions. I mean, how many times, I mean, we see Superman get thrown into power lines and utility poles with quite regularity. So Superman has probably cut off uh, someone's call to their mother. Maybe he did that person a favor. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. So now Superman throws the creature into a building and uh, we have another nice little fight here. Now, with, you know, Superman is starting to fight creatures here a little bit. It's very, I don't know if they're necessarily throwing punches, but they're definitely throwing each other around. Buildings are a little bit worse for wear. I'll tell you that. So here's an interesting sequence here. Uh, this woman is sweeping her floor, and uh, Superman, like I said, Superman throws uh, the creature into a building. After that, the creature responds and throws Superman clear through an apartment into a wall, literally through the window, through the door, which was open for some reason, and into the hallway. Superman didn't hit anything until he hit the hallway wall. And like I said, this woman sweeping the floor handles this quite well. And then she tells her husband, who's uh, watching the game, uh, basketball or football, doesn't really matter. But either way, he doesn't want to be bothered. And I kind of rewound the episode a little bit to uh, check check it out here. Just by looking at the geography of the apartment, Superman must have gone through the window right in front of him on his way through the door. So I don't know how the husband didn't notice. Is he that involved with the game that he didn't see Superman just kind of fly in front of his eyeline? I mean, we while we don't see the husband... We do see Superman go past the TV, so there's no conceivable reason why the husband didn't kind of act shocked when Superman kind of flew by him. Anyway, I'm probably uh, thinking more about that than the uh, writers and animators did. I mean, clearly, they didn't think about it at all. So after he gets out of the apartment, Superman grabs the Beast's collar, and the Beast is no more. So now everybody's back at Paradise Island. No no commercial airlines here. And uh, Superman has to get there before uh, Cyrene has Wonder Woman put her hand on the box. And we've got two beings here. It's rather amusing watching these two, Cyrene and the Imp, trying to pry Wonder Woman's hand out of her fist. But when what brute strength can't do, magic will take care of. And Cyrene eventually forces Wonder Woman's hand into the lock, and the box is open. That's when Superman shows up and tries to pull Cyrene away, but he's knocked backwards. Apparently, uh, in this show, Superman can just fly to Paradise Island. It's not as hidden as it will be in other incarnations. So now they wrap Cyrene in Superman's cape, and the plan is to toss her back into the crystal cage. So apparently, through magic, you know, I guess a lot of things that happened in this episode kind of happened because magic. And they're fading out of existence and are turning into ghosts. So during the fight, Wonder Woman gets Cyrene into the cage, but Wonder Woman kind of ends up locked in as well. And basically, Wonder Woman is ready to make the sacrifice. She tells Superman, close it. Seal up the uh, the globe, and even though it'll get her uh, caught in it, because she can't see of any way for Superman to uh, get her out. But Superman is sticking on his feet. He kind of blows us Cyrene to the uh, far side of the globe, yanks Wonder Woman out, closes it, and Cyrene is trapped again. And uh, the globe is now locked up. Superman frees the others. A part of me is waiting for uh, the Amazons to get into a little bit of a snit about a man on Paradise Island, but. We're not getting that here. They are, however, grateful for his help. And uh, Wonder Woman will give Superman a peck on the cheek of thanks. 
Good thing Lois didn't see that, otherwise she'd kind of she'd fly off the deep end, just like the way she did when Superman and uh, Wonder Woman kind of flew off on their adventure. But Superman leaves Paradise Island, and he's off to his next adventure. I like team-up stories, and uh, to the best of my knowledge, Wonder Woman is the only guest star we're going to see in this show. It is the same Wonder Woman voice from the last iteration of Super Friends, but this is not in that continuity. I mean, there's nothing special about this story, but it's just entertaining. It's more a Wonder Woman story, really, but it's nice to see someone seeking Superman's help instead of him being the seeker. So, with this one done, we now move on to The Birthday Party. It is written by Sherry Wilkerson, and our Super Friends Wiki synopsis is as follows. It's Clark's birthday, and many kids come to celebrate, including Lana Lang. But when Clark is using his X-ray vision to see that Martha Kent got him new clothes, she warns him that the party is off if he uses any superpowers. Clark realizes that maybe she is right, and part of the fun of the birthday party is games of chance and being patient until it is time to unwrap the presents before everyone. All right, so birthday party. Let's see how this can go wrong, shall we? Clark doesn't want to have a birthday party, and he's using X-ray vision on the gifts. He uh, doesn't want new socks. I mean, I guess what kid does? It's one of those things. For your birthday, you don't want, or Christmas, you don't want socks as a kid. But once you once you grow up and you're an adult, you're like, please get me more socks. Because that's always one of those things you never seem to buy on your own. So she doesn't want Clark using his X-ray vision to uh, figure out what all the gifts are. Fair enough. And of course, Clark does. He identifies the football. And fortunately, Martha kind of bails him out by saying that he guessed. And Clark is uh, a bit of a brat. He doesn't want to wear the party hat. He doesn't want to play the games. All he wants to have is cake, which I, I guess most that's what most kids want anyway. But, like, does Clark not like his friends? So uh, here comes Lana and two girls to even out the boy-girl count. And now we're playing a pin the tail and the donkey, and uh, the boys are messing around with Lana and the girls. And uh, in retaliation, uh, Clark uh, punctures the hose and sprays Jack, uh, who is doing most of the teasing of the girls, and uh, starts start, start a water fight. So, I guess Clark's birthday is in the summer, because nobody, nobody's getting seems to be getting pneumonia here. And uh, now we go to Ma Kent in the house, and uh, she's uh, in the kitchen. Seriously, with these kids out there, Ma Kent left the barbecue unattended? Really? And then she comes out and she finds the water fight. She's worried about the party being ruined, but all the kids are having a good time. Ma Kent is such a worry ward. We saw that in the Superman story in the first segment, and then when she was worried over everything Superman did, and she's worried about everything here. You know. There's no real story to this one, just kind of a day in the life. It's a kid's birthday party. There's a bit about teaching Clark patience, but there's really no indication that he actually learned anything. Fun, but ultimately pointless. Next time, back to live action, back to Superboy, with episodes 5 and 6, Countdown to Nowhere, and Bringing Down the House. Until then, if you want to send feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man Screencast. Till next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests, and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. 
Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.